want to learn how to manage your own investments? Are you ready to stop paying investment management fees and start building wealth? The DIY Investing Podcast is dedicated to providing you with the knowledge, skills, and resources you need to be a better investor. Learn how to make investments through the use of fundamental analysis, mental models, and business management insights. Now, here's your host, value investing expert, Trey Henninger. Hello and welcome to the DIY Investing Podcast. My name is Trey Henniger and I'm your host. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast to get more great investing content. If you're listening on YouTube, hit that like button. And if you're listening on any other platform, your five-star rating and review are a great way to support the show. Spotify actually just started accepting five-star ratings. So please consider going to Spotify and leaving this show a five-star rating and review. I also appreciate those on Apple and any other platform, but it would really help me grow my audience if you take the time, go in, and put in a rating and review. So let's dive on in. Today's topic is Series I bonds, what I'm going to call my inflation protected emergency fund. So I've got 20, 25 minutes here to record a podcast. And so I'm committed to putting out more podcasts this year for you. And so I'm trying to get them in each and every week, which means we're going to be working into a little bit some tighter timeframes. So here we go. Series I bonds, if you haven't heard of them, they are something that I learned about in the last three months. You know, we're recording this here in January 2022. I learned about them kind of November, December last year. Um, and it's been revolutionary in my thinking of how I think about um, inflation, how I think about protecting yourself in terms of emergency funds, and how I think you should structure the liquidity of your personal finances. So what is a series I bond? So bonds in general can be issued by many different groups. Some are issued by the government, some are issued by corporations, and some are, um, I mean, I guess technically you can issue individual bonds, um, and, and but basically it's an agreement where you get paid a certain amount of money, you borrow a certain amount of money, and then you agree to pay interest for a period of time. Series I bonds are one form of U.S. government borrowing, and they are a bond that individuals in the United States are allowed to take out. So if you're listening to this abroad, um, I apologize, it's going to be a more U.S.-centric um, podcast, but your government might have similar agreements. Um, I don't believe that people outside the U.S. can actually buy these, or at least I don't believe that non-U.S. citizens can buy these. But I do know that every government has different types of bonds available. Um, so I encourage you to do your own research and think about how the lessons I talk about here may apply to you. Otherwise, feel free to tune into the next show um, where we will talk about probably something more focused that you can draw from. So for my U.S. focused investors, the United States government offers various types of bonds you can buy. You can buy marketed securities or you can buy non-marketed securities. And the Series I bonds are a type of non-market security, which means they are not buy and sold in the secondary market. You can only buy a Series I bond by buying them directly from the U.S. government 
and selling them back directly to the U.S. government. So there's no market price. You can't decide one day that you're going to, you know, see what the market price is on your iBond. There is no market price. It doesn't fluctuate. It's extremely fixed. Now, as someone seeking liquidity and stability, this is good news. If you're seeking capital appreciation, this is bad news. So series I bonds are very bad for speculators or anyone trying to seek super high returns. But what they're good at is they're very good for stability. They're very good for providing you with surety that the principle you put in will be protected. And so... That's why it's important for today because what I discovered towards the end of last year was I was seeing rising and rising inflation. And in the United States, we had inflation reach 7% over the course of 2021. That's the CPI number, the consumer inflation. Or, man, this is why you got to be careful and, and, and it's harder to rush out podcasts because sometimes I actually don't have memorized what CPI stands for. Um, but it's your your um, inflation index, consumer price index. There we go. the The consumer price index in the United States um, is the CPI. It's an inflation tracker of the prices in the U.S. going up over time. And so, in twenty twenty one, prices in the U.S. went up seven percent in this index. What that means is the value of your money declined by 7% over the course of 2021. So unless you were getting a 7% rate of return on your money, unless you were getting a 7% rate of return on your investments or emergency fund, the value of your money went down. Well, I think it's important to protect yourself from this. And there's many different ways you can do that. You can protect yourself by investing. You can protect yourself by saving money. You can protect yourself by um, increasing your earnings over time. Um, There's various things you can do. But what I'm focused on today is how I want to protect my emergency fund. I'm a firm believer that every investor and every person should have an emergency fund. And the general guidance that's given in the United States mainstream financial sphere is that it, is that people should have a three to six month emergency fund. That's three to six months of your expenses, not your income, but three to six months of your expenses saved up, presumably in a savings account that you can access to pay for any emergency expenses, whether that be a healthcare costs, um, your, your vehicle breaking down, uh, and, and so you need transportation tomorrow in order to get to work. Uh, maybe your job gets laid off. And so you, that loss of job that your emergency fund allows you to go from one job to the next because it's going to take some time for you to find a new job. Maybe there's a one month, two month, three months, six months while you're trying to find a new job. And so you need um, a bucket of money available that you can draw on in an emergency. And so these are things that are unplanned, certain expenses you can plan for um, and you should be planning for over time, whether it be with um, savings accounts that you're putting in a month, like a certain amount every month. You know, it's not an emergency if you need to go on vacation. You should be saving for your vacations every month. It's not an emergency um, usually for, for certain, you know, if... Um, something breaks down in your house unless it is an emergency and it costs a lot, but you should be saving for house maintenance costs and that sort of thing. But your emergency fund is there for anything that you can't fund out of your day-to-day budget or if you no longer have a job and you need to cover that. 
So mainstream advice is you need three to six months of an emergency fund in savings at all times. My goals and the way I think about it is I'm extremely conservative. And so I like to target a year of an emergency fund. Now, I didn't begin that way. So if you're getting just getting started, a, a year can be very intimidating. When you think about a year of expenses, you know, if you spend $50,000 a year, then that's $50,000 in savings. That's a lot of money. Versus if you only had a three-month emergency fund, then that's 12500 or six months would be 25000 So these numbers can be very intimidating depending upon what your expenses are. Um, so, but I like to have a very conservative setup. So I have a year of my expenses is what I target for my emergency fund. Now, what does that mean? Well, that means that I have a, a bucket of money that I want to be able to protect from inflation because that money's not earning a lot of interest when it's sitting in a bank account. So when I saw the inflation rate hit 7%, at the end of 2021, I was concerned because I have worked hard to save up an emergency fund and that emergency fund is losing money. And you are probably in the same situation if you've been prepared and you've been saving an emergency fund. Or even if you haven't, if you're actively trying to build that emergency fund or you actively are investing in some way, you see, as inflation goes up, the more and more you're harmed by these changes. So you need a solution. And, and Generally, I was taught that the way to, to handle your emergency fund is to put that money in the bank. And so the general recommendation in the mainstream is to put your money into a, a separate savings account that earns interest at a bank account. Now, the average bank in the U.S. is paying 0.01% interest on savings accounts right now. Now, if you want a little bit of a higher interest rate, like half a percent or 1%, you could use an online savings account or a high yield savings account. And maybe you could earn up to like 1% interest on your savings account with the current interest rate environment. But even if you're earning 1% interest, when inflation is 7%, that means you're losing 6% a year. That means over the course of 12 years, the value of your emergency fund is going to be cut in half because if that inflation rate is maintained over a period of time, you're not keeping up with it and your emergency fund becomes less and less value. That means that over a course of 12 years, your six-month emergency fund is going to become a three-month emergency fund and your one-year emergency fund is going to become a six-year, six-month emergency fund and your three-month emergency fund is only going to be a month worth a month and a half. So, some of that is inevitable. Some of it is inevitable that inflation is going to crack away at your emergency fund over time. And the goal of your emergency fund is not to grow. The goal of your emergency fund is to be there when you need it, to be accessible when you need it. So you're not trying to get a return from your emergency fund. However, if there's an opportunity to prudently keep your emergency fund safe, accessible, and also provide a little bit of inflation protection, then I think that's something worth considering. And so I put out a call and I said, hey, who can help me figure out how to protect some of my emergency fund from inflation? And half the responses said, you need to check out series I bonds. And you know what? I did. And I am excited to share with you today what I learned because series I bonds seems like the perfect solution for me in terms of providing some inflation protection for my emergency fund.
So let's go back to then what is a series I bond? Well, like any bond, it pays interest. And as I said, it's not marketable. So the principle is going to stay the same every time. The big risk for investing any part of your emergency fund is that the principle could be threatened. Basically, if you put $1,000 into an investment, maybe when you need it, it's only worth $800. That would be a risk that you don't want to take with an emergency fund. You don't want to risk the principle being impaired. Well, if you put $1,000 into a Series I bond, that $1,000 is never going to be less than $1,000. It's always going to be at least $1,000. The principle doesn't fluctuate from day to day. There's no market price. It's bought directly from the government, and the government returns your money directly when you redeem it. So with Series I bonds, you don't have that marketability that's fluctuating, and that's a very positive for how you can use this as part of your emergency fund. The second piece is the interest rate. So what is the series I bond interest rate? Well, treasurydirect.gov, which is where you would buy your series I bond, is a website directly set up with the government. Again, that's treasurydirect.gov, where you can set up an account and go and buy a series I bond or other bonds offered by the U.S. government. What they say is that a Series I bond has a combined interest rate that's made up of the first part is a fixed rate staying the same for the life of the bond plus an inflation rate that is set twice a year. For bonds that are issued between November 2021 and April 2022, the current combined rate is 7.12%. That means that for that six-month period, you're going to earn 7.12% on the money that is put into an I-bond. And that's made up of two parts. Again, it's a fixed rate plus a variable inflation rate. The fixed rate is 0.00%. They're not having a positive inflation rate on that fixed rate. But the inflation rate is set at 7.12%, so the combined rate is 7.12%. That combined rate is what you're getting. Now, again, check the numbers. They may change by the time you listen to this podcast. They may be different. But that's what I'm seeing off the website right now when I go check it. So I just said the inflation rate was 7%, and yet you're being offered these bonds at 7.12%. That's a positive yield to inflation. Now, technically, it's not a positive yield to inflation because the fixed rate the positive yield that they offer is zero. And so this is just saying that whatever um, index is being used to set the price of these bonds says the inflation rate's actually 7.12%. So all you're getting is a 0% yielding real bond. That's different than a 0% yielding nominal bond. Nominal bonds can lose money from inflation, the Series I bonds are keeping up with inflation. So whatever portion of your emergency fund you might put into Series I bonds will at least keep up with inflation, which I think is going to end up being better than the savings account alternative that I have. So my opportunity cost shifts me to consider these as an alternative. Your opportunity cost might be different. Your risk preferences might be different. Obviously, you need to do your own research. But this was very interesting to me because I was like, This is a much higher rate that I'm being offered from my banks. And now it does change. Those rates are only effective for six months. 
six months after you um, buy the bond, the interest rate will change to the new inflation rate. And six months after that, it'll change again to the new inflation rate. And the yield is going to constantly be changing according to the changes in inflation rate. This can be both positive and negative. On the positive end, if inflation keeps going up, the yield could rise. It could go from 7% to 8%, 9%, 10%. Or if inflation drops, maybe it goes down to 4 5 3%, something like that. You never really know. If inflation goes away completely, the bond's yield could go down to zero. Now, it can't go below zero based upon how this is set up. The Series I bonds never yield less than zero. Just like your bank account never yields less than zero, at least in the United States. That's different in some European countries and other countries around the world. But at least within the United States so far, your savings accounts never yield negative numbers. The Series I bond doesn't yield negative numbers. It's the minimum amount is zero. So this is an attractive alternative for some portion of my emergency fund. So the question becomes, what's the catch? There's always a catch with these things. Well, these bonds are abnormally attractive to me as an individual seeking protection from inflation. So what catch does the government put on it? Well, there's two catches that I think are relevant. The first catch is when you buy the Series I bond, any money you use to buy that bond cannot be removed from the account for up to a year. So for the first 12 months, you can't remove the money from the account. Now, there are some exceptions due to hardships, and you can read about those exceptions on the website, treasuredirect.gov. I'm not going to go into them today because... My general takeaway was you can't plan for those exceptions and those exceptions don't necessarily align with what you would consider a hardship. It's what the government considers a hardship. So there might be a situation where you need your emergency fund money, but the government doesn't give it to you because it doesn't align with what they consider a hardship. So big risk number one is that you can't remove the money for a 12-month period. And that's a big deal because if you have this as an emergency fund, the number one overriding goal of your emergency fund is it must be accessible at all times when you need it. Now, how do you adapt for that? Well, you can phase the amount in that you do this. And so it limits the risk. So let's think about an emergency fund. So if you have a 12-month emergency fund, Then what you can do is if you put one month of the emergency fund into this in, let's say, January 2022, then you can't access it until January 2023. However, your emergency fund will then be 11 months in a savings account and one month in the I-bond. And then if you had an emergency the day after you did this, you will have 11 months of emergency fund in order to get through whatever the emergency is, job loss, whatever. And then you'll have a one-month gap where you don't have money in December of 2022, but then you'll be able to access your money in January 2022. So you just need to make your money in your emergency fund stretch one extra month, maybe cut your expenses by 10%, and you'll be able to last that extra month. And then in January 2023, you now have a full 12-month emergency fund, and 11 of it is accessible from a bank account, and one month is accessible from the treasuredirect.gov website. So 
that next year you could do it again and then you could just keep shifting in maybe one month at a time or two months at a time um, to limit the risk. And then over time, you could shift, say, half your emergency fund into this. Now, it's a little riskier if you have a three-month emergency fund or a six-month emergency fund. Because if you have a three-month emergency fund and then you put a month in to I-bonds, now your accessible emergency fund is only two months. And then you're going to have to wait nine whole months before you get that third month available. And so that's a, that's a lot riskier. Likewise, if you have six-month emergency fund, you have additional risk there because there's a bigger gap between that threshold of when it's workable. And so that's a very real risk. And the lower you are on the preparedness spectrum, the lower value this strategy will be for you. If you're extra conservative and you have a much, much bigger emergency fund, then this va- then this strategy will be more valuable. But if you have a lower emergency fund, then the risk of inflation is also much lower for you. If you only have a three-month emergency fund, let's say your annual expenses are 30000 a year, so then you have, or sorry, 40000 a year, I'm trying to make the math easy for me. And so your three-month emergency fund is $10,000. That means that you only have $10,000 exposed to inflation. And so your overall risk from inflation of a 7% inflation rate just means that you lost $700 worth of money. Versus if for whatever reason your emergency fund was like $100,000, then you're exposed to 7% on that. Then that's $7,000 of losses. Or if your emergency fund was a million dollars, then it's $70,000 of losses. So obviously... Um, those numbers are made up. And so it's just trying to give you a reference of the larger your emergency fund, the more exposed you are to inflation. And so, but also the larger your emergency fund, the better fit a series I bond strategy might fit in. So how do I think about this? Oh, the second downside. So that was the first downside is you can't access your money for a year. Um, The second downside is that there's a maximum amount of money you can put into series I bonds each year. And the US government limits you to $10,000 per year per person. So if you're single, you can only buy $10,000 of I bonds each calendar year. So in 2022, you can buy $10,000. In 2023, you can buy $10,000. In 2024, you can buy $10,000. Now, you can do it in any combination, but that's the max. So you could have, you know, 10 I-bonds, you know, $1,000 a month throughout the year, and then that's a 10000 total, or you can do a single 10000 purchase in January, however you want to do it. Um, if you're married, of course, you have two individuals, and so then you can put in 10000 per person per year. So a married couple would be able to put $20,000 per year into this strategy in order to slowly over time adjust their exposure to inflation within their emergency fund. Or you could do this outside of your emergency fund, but I'm talking specifically my framework for today is kind of like inflation protecting your emergency fund. So those are your two big risks. You can't access the money for a year, which is a very big risk for your emergency fund. You need to think carefully before you implement this. Um, and then the second one is you're limited on the amount of money you can put in. Now, why would a government limit that? Well, anytime the U.S. government offers something that is abnormally beneficial, they are going to put a limit on it because what they don't want is 
extremely rich people to take advantage of something that they consider is primarily intended to help the middle class or the poor. So think about if you had a billionaire without a limit and they wanted to inflation protect their assets. Well, if Series I bonds didn't have a limit, then maybe they could buy a billion dollars of inflation protected securities here as these Series I bonds and have no principal risk and fully protected from inflation. Well, that's a big concern for the government. They don't want you to do that. It's the same reason that you can't put a billion dollars into an IRA every year or a billion dollars into a 401k. These tax-protected vehicles, or in in this case, an inflation-protected vehicle, is a way for the government to give special assets to people with lower means. So you're talking relatively, you know, the poor, working classes, middle class, however you want to define it. And so it limits it because they don't want, you know, multimillionaires and billionaires buying these things because of the advantages that they offer. So those are your risks. Now, how would you look at this? Now, obviously you need to make up your own mind how you're going to take away this information. But the way I thought about it is, I want my emergency fund from first principles to be liquid. That means easily accessible. Um, It has to be fully protected from principal risk. I don't want to have any chance of losing money. So savings accounts meet that. Um, Series I bonds meet that. Um, Savings accounts meet the liquidity. And Series I bonds meet the liquidity after 12 months. And then I also want some form of inflation protection, but I'm unwilling to take risk for it. So... The savings accounts pay me an interest rate, and it's relatively low, so they're providing some inflation protection, but not a. But it's only partial. It's not a full inflation protection. So I will lose money in a savings account. Um, I gain full inflation protection from Series I bonds, but I have partial liquidity risk for the first twelve months. I have liquidity risk, but no liquidity risk after those twelve months. So my strategy. Let's sum it up. For Series I bonds is this. Over a period of a few years, I will tr- I can transition part of my emergency fund into I bonds, which would limit my risk from being stuck with inaccessible money while maximizing the portion of my emergency fund that's protected from inflation. And so across the whole, I will have a nice balance of liquidity and inflation protection without taking any principal risk. Now, this is only the way I'm thinking about it now. It could change in the future, but I think a good balance here is going to be 50% of the emergency fund in a savings account and 50% of the emergency fund in I bonds. And so Depending upon your means, depending upon how large your emergency fund is, this might take you multiple years. It might take you one year. Um, It might take you um, because you either are going to run up against one of two issues. You're either going to run up against the the $10,000 limit and how much money you can put in per year, or you might run up against the issue of not wanting to lock away too much of your emergency fund in one go. So even if your emergency fund is only $10,000 and you could technically put all of it in an I-bond in one year, you might want to shift only $1,000 a year so that you limit that accessibility risk because you don't want to get stuck with an emergency you can't pay. So that's how I'm breaking it down is over the course of a few years, 
I want to transition to having 50% in a savings account that's providing interest and 50% in series I bonds that are providing interest. And once that's seasoned, basically once there's 12 months after my last I bond purchase, then all 12 months of the emergency fund would be accessible or all six months of the emergency fund would be accessible or all three months of the emergency fund would be accessible at any time. There would be no liquidity risk. There would be no principal risk because it's not fluctuating with the market. And my portfolio then would be a little over half protected from inflation because half of it would be fully protected from inflation and half of it would be partially protected from inflation. So I'll provide a link in the show notes to treasurydirect.gov, which is this website where you can go and learn more about um, these types of securities. Sorry, they're not securities. They're series I bonds, or I guess, I don't know, depending on how you write it. So these specific I bonds that for the first six months will yield 7.12% can be purchased through April 2022. And again, it will fluctuate year by year or every six months after that, even these. That 7 month percent is not guaranteed to continue and it almost undoubtedly won't continue. But I think this was an attractive idea that I learned from some of my followers on Twitter at the end of 2021. And I think it offers very positive um, risk rewards for those seeking inflation protection on their emergency fund. So thank you to those of you who offered me this idea. I really like it. So I'm trying to pass it on to others who might gain benefit from it. And I think it provides me at least a good way of gaining some additional benefits without taking market risk. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Don't forget to like and subscribe this vi- to, to this channel. Like and subscribe on um, YouTube. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Trey Henniger. And thank you for listening. Until next time, stop paying fees, start building wealth. Thank you for listening to the DIY Investing Podcast. Please visit our website and subscribe to our email list at DIYinvesting.org for guides, videos, and resources to help make you a better investor. The DIY Investing Podcast is presented for general informational and entertainment purposes only. I have not considered your specific situation or risk profile, and I have not provided investment advice. The information presented on the DIY Investing Podcast should not be construed as investment advice. The views and opinions expressed on the DIY Investing Podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of the show's host or sponsors. DIY Investing, its producers, sponsors, and host, Trey Henniger, shall not be liable for losses resulting from investment decisions based upon information or viewpoints presented on the DIY Investing Podcast.